Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today, I've got some really interesting uh, people to talk to. Um, Andrew Rush, current CEO of Made in Space. And we may hear from uh, some of his cohorts in the call, but for the main part, uh, Andrew. So, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I wanted to interview you guys because I heard that you're um, doing 3D printing in space in zero-gravity environments. Is that right? That's correct. We're we're We've been actually 3D printing on the International Space Station since about 2014 and are embarking on a program to to take that manufacturing capability outside the ISS into the vacuum of space to be able to produce and then ultimately assemble parts of spacecraft um, from feedstock that we ship up. Wow, that's amazing. And, and 2014, so this is old news to make a joke. That's crazy. Um, so how did uh, how did this happen? You know, I know there that there's multiple 3D printing methodologies here on Earth. Um, who came up with the concept to try to do it in space, and what are the advantages now that you can do it? Yeah, uh, you, you know, at Made in Space, our big vision is to you know, colonize space, uh, to, to see people living and working in in microgravity, like in low Earth orbit as well as on the moon and Mars and, and eventually, you know, other planets. And in order to do that, in order to realize that dream, you need to have tools that help you survive and thrive in those environments. Um, we like to kind of talk about here at Main Space, the difference between going on a camping trip and going to settle somewhere is literally the tools you take with you. So manufacturing, having a manufacturing capability with you that's capable of working on the way to where you're going or, or at your ultimate destination is essential. And additive manufacturing, you know, using all the materials that you took with you seemed like a natural first step um, for, for a space-capable tool uh, because it costs so much money to, to send math to space. We use uh, an FDM-based uh, process to do manufacturing in space. Um, but we've also demonstrated the ability to do things like metal casting, as well as to do uh, stereolithography or you know photopolymer resin 3D printing in microgravity. We demonstrated those last two uh, on parabolic flights. Uh, we even demonstrated the ability to do bioprinting uh, on parabolic flights. And and as we expand our manufacturing capability in space, uh, we'll be taking those technologies to orbit. So. What are the challenges of 3D printing in microgravity or zero gravity versus normal gravity? Yeah, so there are two principal challenges. The first is uh, when you don't have gravity, uh, you know, kind of holding everything down and pulling everything down, you need to rely on other forces and other, you need to have other approaches to getting the material uh, deposited where you want it deposited and for for it to stick and stay there. The other big challenge is actually uh, you know, a, a heat problem that you don't actually, you don't have natural convection in microgravity. Mm. So we have to rely on other techniques 
to, to make sure that the parts we want to stay hot stay hot and the parts that we want to stay cold stay cold. Uh, which, and I mean, with, with manufacturing is a dynamic sort of thing, so we have to pay a lot more attention to that than you would uh, on the ground. Yeah, well, it makes sense that there's no natural convection. So what happens when things heat up or, I mean, how do things, yeah, I don't know, it's hard to express. So I see you could heat something. Let's say you cook something up on a stove, but what happens to the heat given off by the stove, for instance? Does it just sit around the object in a cloud or what? What happens? Yeah. What does it look like? You have, you know, so you have a lot. You have radiative heat, and you have, you know, you have to pay to pay close attention to, you know, the 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 heat paths that you know that things will travel down just via contact, uh, and you know, in a, in a way that in a much more uh, delicate way than you would uh, traditionally on the ground. Interesting. So you're able to 3D print uh, pretty much in any. 3D printing modality you want on the space station, or are there ones that you just can't do? So we we currently are doing we currently have two uh, FEM based printers on the International Space Station. One uh, that that offer you know with, with sort of the technology demonstrator uh, that that we operated for NASA uh, and manufactured the very first parts off the face of the planet in 2014. And then we have a second unit called Additive Manufacturing Facility. Which has been operating on that space station for more than a year now, that we actually own and operate as a sort of commercial uh, machine shop service in space. Uh, there are other techniques, as I mentioned, with bioprinting and with uh, stereo lithography that that we uh, have demonstrated and are, are working to take to space now. Um, and, and the and we've we've looked at virtually every kind of additive manufacturing. Uh, technique there that exists in the marketplace at, and really, you know, have done a down selection and a trade study to say which ones are, which ones work really well in space um, versus which some that might be more difficult. Uh, and, and then comparing that to the needs and the anticipated needs of crew and robotic uh, payloads and missions in space in order to figure out which, you know, in order to say which techniques we should put up there. Uh, because as, as I'm sure everybody's familiar you know, on the ground, depending on your application, you might, you know, FTM might be totally appropriate or it might be, you know, wholly inadequate. Uh, likewise, you know, a powder bed type system might be what you need or maybe SLA might be what you need or maybe you need a combination of additive and subtractive manufacturing. So we're really trying to not only do put additive manufacturing in space, but put all manufacturing techniques in space because that's really what we'll need huh. to deliver on the promise of manufacturing in space and, and ultimately to settle. Are you currently talking to me from the International Space Station? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Maybe one day. Have you have you ever been able to go up there or, or are you allowed to? So I believe there are about seven individuals that have paid a rather princely sum to go to the International Space Station as private spaceflight participants. Um, I know what at our company uh, has, has has gotten wealthy enough to be able to afford to do that, uh, but but we we make a point of getting our engineers on parabolic flight to experience uh, you know personally how weightlessness affects affects you and and affects systems so that they can really you know have that kind of gut feeling understanding when they're designing. Uh, when they're designing equipment for space, 
because because things do behave differently, and and, and there's and you can read a lot, you can read as much as you want about about what things are like in microgravity, but you know until you until you actually like float up in the air, uh, you know, on a parabolic flight, or you know, as astronauts have experienced in in orbit, uh, you don't you don't have a complete understanding of that environment. Yeah, I, actually, I did the zero g flight, and Peter Diamandis was on it. It was back, I think, in October in Long Beach. So um, it was amazing, and that's really cool that you guys at least get to do that to uh, experience how the technology works and the differences, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a trip, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. You know, I, you know, we'll. I know we're on a detour here. We'll get back to the 3D printing. But um, when I lay on the, you know, the floor of the airplane and we were doing the the zero g parabola, you know, you're coming, you're going up, you're going up, and then when you go into it, I felt. This um, this force like move through my body and you just push off slightly and you come up off the floor and it's weird. It feels like um, I don't know, just something goes through you and draws out of you, and all of a sudden you're like floating. It's the strangest thing. It was awesome. It was really yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you and you and you don't realize your own strength at all in that environment. Like it's so easy if you just apply what you would think would be a normal amount of force and in one G, you're you know you're just like you know blasted yourself across the across the cabin there um yeah yeah they 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 said don't look out the window and i did at one point and then i regretted it because <laughs> you're on a crazy angle but yeah but it, it was really cool so um yeah. well getting back to the the, the 3d printing so you want to be able to manufacture anything on earth that you can up there is there anything you can make up there that you can't make on earth any benefits that come back from being made in space do you see products going the other way eventually Back to Earth. Yeah. Yes. This is actually um, one of the really amazing qualities, uh, un, uh, largely untapped qualities of of the space environment is that if you if you can actually manufacture things in space that because they were manufactured in the in the environment of space they have kind of these emergent qualities that uh, are beneficial and sometimes hugely beneficial to you know to terrestrially based people and terrestrially based industry. Uh, we call these, these are called in the industry, uh, you know, space enabled material. Uh, and, oh. and one of those materials is an optical fiber called Zeblan that we have actually privately funded um, the development of payloads that will be flying this year to the International Space Station to manufacture this optical fiber on the International Space Station and then bring it back down. And it turns out if you if you do this, the research you know says that if you manufacture this optical fiber in microgravity rather than in 1G, you're gonna, you're going to get dramatic improvements in the signal transmission quality of the fiber. Um, you know that that's actually and in, and in, in, in theoretically you'll get performance that's better than silica fiber, which is the optical fiber that you know powers a lot of modern telecommunication systems. So we could potentially, you know, so we're on a mission to create this optical fiber in space that, you know, could be a, a paradigm-shifting product for the, the long-haul telecommunications industry, which is, you know, an industry that's always strapped for greater bandwidth and better signal transmission and lower response time. What are what are some other examples of um, the benefit of making something in a micro or zero-gravity environment? What other kinds of products uh, is there potential for them to be superior in some way? In what way would that be? 
So removing gravity from the manufacturing equation benefits many different classes of materials. And, and this is something that NASA and, and, and you know, the Soviet space program and the Russian space program and many other groups have been studying uh, actually since like Apollo 14, um, you know, doing sort of material processing um, and studies in, in microgravity. Um, there were some metal processing experiments going all the way back to Apollo 14. Um, there, you know, there's, there's, you know, pharmaceutical experiments and being, and, and now kind of modern, in, in modern times, people are looking at whether or not we can manufacture like vascularized tissue and, 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 and heart valves in zero G. Um, there's also been some interesting work on manufacturing semiconductors in space. Uh, so really okay. there's, there's wide classes of material that, um, you know, that are potentially very, very high value. Uh, high enough value to, you know, to command a price that, uh, you know, makes shipping the material up from Earth, doing processing, and bringing it back down to bringing it back down for characterization and sale, a profitable proposition. And why is that? Is that because in the absence of gravity, materials can be more, um, I guess, isotropic and thereby stronger or have better material properties? Yeah, for each for each class of material, the uh, the the beneficial uh, beneficial effects of microgravity manifest themselves in, in a slightly different way, but but that is that is one way. Um, you know, with with the optical fiber that we're payload that we're going to be flying soon, what you know what seems to happen is that the crystalline lattice uh, it becomes you know much more regular and suppresses 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 errors in that lattice. Uh, which you know, which on the ground create you know results in microcrystals, which uh, which cause significant signal loss. Uh, so that's so there are a variety uh, of ways that microgravity benefits uh, manufacturing, in, you know, causes uh, beneficial uh, traits to emerge when you manufacture microgravity. Okay, and besides the fact that, um, well, I mean, well, let's you know, let's go over the benefits of manufacturing items in space for the space station itself or for any space mission, I would guess there's a probably a big cost benefit. You know, maybe we can launch lighter rockets because they'll get all their materials later on once they're in space. Uh, you know, what are some of the benefits you see? Yeah, there are, there are a lot of benefits being able to manufacture in space for, for utilization in, for, for utilization of what you manufacture there in space. Uh, if you're, if you're looking at like a human space mission, the ability to, Manufacture on the spot, on demand, you know, means that you can you can carry fewer spares, and you can manufacture new tools um, from a wider. You, know, you can have a wider variety of options than you would have if, if you had to just you know down select to you know to only a few tools in order to get under your mass budget that you would have to go on your mission. You can also respond. To, to problems or opportunities by manufacturing you know, repair pieces or fixes or, or new scientific uh, instruments or structures um, that, that you, you, know, you discovered you needed halfway through the mission. Uh, we kind of joke that, that Apollo 13 uh, might have been a much more boring movie uh, if they had had a 3D printer uh, that they could have simply created that, that converter for those CO2 cartridges uh, that they were trying to, you know, they're trying to set a square CO2 cartridge into a round hole. Um, that if they just had a 3D printer, guys on the ground could have, you know, catted up that solution and, you know, transmitted the files to the printer and then 
said, ah, here's your fix. Um, and, and that's the kind of you know, safety and reliability and, and opportunistic manufacturing that, that this technology um, provides, is providing right now on the International Space Station. In terms of manufacturing like, larger scale structures in the vacuum of space, you know, we have this program called Arcanaut um, that's a manufacturing and assembly technology uh, that, that you know, is being, will be integrated into satellites to manufacture structures that are traditionally deployed uh, right now. So we, what we do with satellites today is we, you know, we pack everything very densely, and then things like solar panels and reflectors and antennas all get kind of origami folded up and smashed and sort of in, in, into the top of a launch bearing. Uh, and then when you get on orbit, they kind of unfurl uh, and to their deployed operational uh, configuration, and that creates points of failure. And sometimes they do fail. And what what Arcanaut you know enables is us to actually manufacture those structures once we get on orbit, and manufacture them in a way that's optimized for the space environment, for this microgravity environment, rather than building them to survive launch which results in a part that once it gets to space is over-engineered and wasting mass for the, in the environment that it's going to ultimately operate in for, you know, a decade or more. Um, mm. So, yeah, it absolutely results in, it can result in, you know, in, in more, more mass and volume efficient uh, satellites and assets being deployed. Um, are you able to put any uh, ballpark numbers on savings and, uh, Improvement in material properties and you know all the the benefits we talked about, you know, ten percent better, a hundred percent better, a third cheaper, you know, that kind of thing. There, there are there are a few near term applications where we think that we can be, you know, less than fifty percent of the cost of AVR deployable uh, booms and trusses, and and from a from a deployed mass perspective. There are some applications where we are where we can accomplish the, the mission with like ten or twenty percent of the mass that is used in state of the art applications. Wow, that is a big difference. <laughs> yeah, because that I mean because that frees up because that mass savings and and and, and the, the other big savings is the volume is the packing efficiency savings that that you know the more volume and the more volume and mass that you can make available. Um, you know, means that you can pack more transmitters and more sensors and more mission on your satellite. And that's, that's a really crucial, um, important thing. Well, very good. So what, um, what do you guess will be the five and 10 year um, abilities of, of maiden space? What do you think you're going to be able to do? Yeah, that's a great question. There, there are two, I would say there's two big things that we're working on in the manufacturing uh, arena. And in, in the next five or 10 years, I, I would say I have two, two large goals. One is I, I, we want to see a, a factory in space that is manufacturing space and one or more space enabled materials that's, you know, that's producing, you know, thousands of, thousands of kilograms of material a year. Um, because that would be, that would just be such a watershed moment for humanity to be to be truly to have truly entered into the industrial age of space, to be using space for more than just you know data collection and observation and data transmission, but to be utilizing it for manufacturing. Um, 
also in the next five or ten years, I it's our it's our it's our grand hope to see you know to see large structures being manufactured and assembled in space to see the first missions that are based on Arcanaut be deployed and successfully operating you know, providing much much larger reflectors and and structures um, in space to to make those missions more capable and and more cost effective um, and then maybe further down the line you know this technology enables enables us to build space telescopes that you know, would dwarf James Webb, which is an amazing piece of engineering and just an incredibly exciting like telescope. Um, and, and, and but this technology lets us go to go to the next level after that. Yeah, I guess certain uh, materials that need to be perfect, like lenses, you know, uh, could be made up there that would probably exceed the ones maybe on Earth. You know, detectors for uh, neutrinos, things like that. So I guess there could be a lot of things that be made to to be used in space would work back down here and the absence of gravity would make them uh, even better yeah well and, and importantly you know when we're when we're talking about a system as complex as a space telescope that that really highlights the the manufacturing and assembly aspects of a of a of a technological platform like Arcanide is we're importantly we are not saying make everything in space to the exclusion of making things on the earth like you know it's 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 going to be a long time before there are, you know, semiconductor foundries in space that can, you know, can efficiently and cost-effectively manufacture the latest generation computing, you know, computer chips that, you know, like Intel can do right now on the ground. So, so there are plenty of things like, you know, like computers and, 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 and the mirror segments that, you know, James Webb uses that would likely be manufactured on the ground. Um, and then we would, and those pack very, very efficiently and we would ship those up with a with a you know a compact manufacturing assembly platform. And once we get to space, you know, manufacture the structure like the backplane for a, a, a telescope, and 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 then we would robotically integrate you know the the positioning the positioning mounts and the and the and the the, uh, the mirror segments and all the other kind of components that that can be more that can be very that are very very volume efficient. Um, and that also are manufactured very, you know, manufactured very well ground. Are you guys, um, I would guess you're collaborating with planetary resources and companies that want to mine resources from space because otherwise you would think, you know, there's nothing up there, but I guess there is quite a bit up there. There's probably um, really great potential solar power and, again, from asteroids and other bodies, uh, maybe even raw materials to make stuff there. Yeah, no, we're you know we're very supportive uh, and hopeful for for the future that you know folks like planetary resources and space industries are, are pursuing. Like we we really look forward to the day where we can we can call somebody up and say, hey, I need five metric tons of nickel delivered to Leo or delivered to L1 for us to use and to make something really amazing there. Um, today. Uh, you know, today that that future is is still a, is still far off, um, but we are designing our systems from from the get go to 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 be to be compatible with with both space you know space uh, found materials as well as materials brought up from the earth. Hmm. All right, you know, just last question or two. Um, what has amazed you about the work that you're doing, and and what? Would you love to see created or put into use, you know, in the next few years that would just, I mean, really make you sit back and say, wow, 
Oh man, I, I, I mean, <laughs> every day is pretty is pretty amazing. Um, you know, every every day that we kind of see see something new that that the guys that this amazing team um, that I'm fortunate enough to to be able to lead has has come up with or built or prototyped. Uh, it, it's 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 just a dream come true. Um, you know, I over the next couple of uh, over the next couple of years, uh, you know, we we are we're we're kind of spoiled already at Maiden Space that we're you know, we manufacture in space every week on the three D printers that we the three D printers that we have on the International Space Station, um, which is which is something that nobody else gets to say. Um, but you know, going forward, we're uh, you know I'm excited to see it. Uh, you know, manufacture large structures in space. Um, and I'm also excited to see to see the to see us fly, uh, you know, fly that that optical fiber manufacturing facility, and for it to operate, and then you know, and then to, you know, once it's back on the ground, open it up and hold hold in my hands this material that has you know that that is unique uh, and you know unlike any material on the earth because it was made it was made in space and and has enormously better cap kind of Better capabilities and properties uh, than if it had been manufactured on the ground. Okay, well, very good. So, um, how can listeners learn more about Maiden Space and connect with you, and uh, you know, maybe end up working with you somehow? I don't. What's the best way for people to engage? Yeah. Uh, so, the best ways to engage with us is to you know you know to to follow us on social media on on, on Twitter and Facebook um, and even Instagram. Uh, and, and also visit our website, madeinspace.us. Uh, and we are hiring now. We've we've grown we've grown very quickly over the last couple of years, and we're we continue to grow quickly. Uh, we have offices both in California, Florida, and Alabama, uh, and and you know we have open recs for for both engineers and non-engineers. And so, if 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 folks want to you know work on building factories in space. If they think that's something fun, then then I invite them to apply. Well, that's great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming. It's been a really cool uh, interview. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. It's been great. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.